The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with hosts Victoria and Adair Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here with her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan and an actress, a playwright, and a stunt performer to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now let's get this party started. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey everybody, this is Victoria Moran with Main Street Vegan, and with me on the phone is my daughter Adair. Hey! Hi! Hello. We're having such a high-tech show today. I'm in Washington, oh. D.C. for an event this evening. We talked about this last week. This is the 20th anniversary cocktail party for Pigs a Sanctuary, a wonderful, wonderful place for farmed animals and other animals that have been rescued. You can check them out at pigs.org, pigs.org. And if you're interested in coming out tonight and seeing and hearing me and and helping out the pigs, uh, Darlington House, 1620 20th Street Northwest, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, just show up. You can register right now at pigs.org for $25 or show up tonight and it's 30 and I would be so thrilled to see you and you could say I heard you on the radio and it would be just like in the movies. So I'm here and Adair is back in New York City. What are you doing today, Adair? Um, well, let's see. I just got home from my uh, lifeguard test, so I was doing a lot of swimming today. Well, you s- seem to need to do a lot of swimming since, as we've told our listeners before, it wasn't all that long ago that you were swallowing the Zambezi River. That's true. So you, not um, really, you don't really swim, though, in whitewater rafting. No, I suppose you just stay alive. Yep, pretty much. Well, you know, there was something we forgot to talk about last week. I mean, it was on the list, and we were playing that beautiful song by Daniel Redwood, a sanctuary song, and had other things going on. 
And we didn't acknowledge the rescue and ultimate demise of that sweet little kitty who came into our lives for a short amount of time. Would you like to just tell the story of her rescue? Oh, sure. Oh, it was sad. Um, I was getting off the train coming home from work, and um, then on my block, just down the street from my apartment, was this cat standing on the sidewalk. And we have a lot of feral, kind of feral, semi-feral cats in this neighborhood that are a little skittish, but she just didn't look like one of them. And I bent down to pet her, and she just crawled in my arms and just nuzzled her head in my neck and started purring. And I just fell in love with her, and I didn't know what to do because one of my dogs is very not cat-friendly. And I could not bring her home. That would not have been safe for her. So I called you, just desperate for a place to take this cat because I couldn't leave her on the street. She was so skinny and so sweet. Um, And so you let me bring her to your place. And she let me carry her all, uh, all 12 blocks and uh, was just the sweetest little thing. But then uh, I guess you, you can tell because you took her to the vet. The yeah, she was a little thing, I guess, because she just didn't grow properly. And it turned out that she had a whole lot of, of health problems, uh, feline leukemia, failing kidneys. And I took her to a cat clinic where um, I took my cats when I had cats. And the vet was so kind, and he just said, it's just, it's not going to happen. She's just um, too sick. But he also was just so grateful to you, Adair, for getting this little little being off the street so that that her end of life would would be something not difficult and and painful as it would have been out there in the elements. So, um, you know, it's a weird thing. I know we can't save everybody. We can't save every animal. We can't save every person. But to just know that there are people in the world who want to save somebody inspires me. And you inspire me because you do so much of the hands-on. And it's so interesting how it all ripples because two days after the situation with the kitty, I got a call from a friend saying, there's a pigeon. There's a pigeon down here in the village and people are kicking him out of the doorway and he doesn't seem like he can fly. Can you come and get him and take him to a dare? And so we we dealt with the pigeon, and my friend later on said, you know, before I met you, I would have not even seen that pigeon. So it's very interesting how we can, you know, kind of pass it all around. And speaking of before we completely leave cats, I just want to say you mentioned feral cats. There is a great group that works with feral cats doing the the trap, spay, and, and release, it's called Alley Cat Allies, and actually I think I'm going to see Rebecca Robinson, an old friend from back in Kansas City, who started Alley Cat Allies about 20 years ago. You can find out about them at alleycat.org. I think I'm going to see Rebecca tonight here in D.C. They do really, really oh, good you, work. And you mentioned pigeons, and the other kind of fun thing I'm doing right now is I am prepping our apartment for uh, I'm going to be fostering birds. How so I'm interesting. About this. Now, how is your dog who likes to chase things going to deal with that? Uh, well, you know, as you know, I have rehabbed quite a few birds here at the apartment, and um, it's just a matter of being very careful with them. Right now, um, Nick is putting the finishing touches on a fence that runs between the part of the yard the dogs play in and the part of the yard that has the flight cage. 
So there will be a good fence there with a, uh, a blind because she's, she's very visual, and if she can't see the birds, she really doesn't care. And, um, and we also got something to make our bathroom door close automatically because usually when they're little and they have to be kept inside, I keep them in the bathroom because there is a door on the bathroom. And, uh, and so that way we can make sure that door stays closed and the dog stays out. But, uh, yeah, I have successfully released quite a few birds here with no dog casualties. I think you have the wildest square footage in all of Manhattan. I try. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And I just need to go back and, and say a different word. You know, in Unity, we're very big on words and, and the power that words have. And I said something about how can you rehab something with your dog. It's very important to me to change that to someone, some being. I think as long as we think about animals as things, we're, it'll be easier to treat them as things. So well, I think you're right, and that's why um, every bird that comes to me, I give it a name, even though a lot of them die within a few hours. You know, a lot of them are in bad shape. But I always feel like I should give them a name because if I'm making health decisions and medical decisions on their behalf, like you have to respect that they're living, breathing creatures, and in the human world, the way that we, you know, give someone an identity as a, as a fellow creature is to give them a name. So I make sure that my birds always have names. Wow, I love that. And it even reminds me of the story of Genesis when God gave every creature a name. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. We have some but I think questions. you're right as a human. Until it has a name, it, it kind of seems like a thing. Well, you were named before you were born, although I didn't change your name. You were going to be Elizabeth, and then you looked like a Rachel. We knew your middle name would be Adair no matter what. So you went from Elizabeth Adair to Rachel Adair, and then you changed it yourself to Adair when you were 14, and it just suits you beautifully. So names work out. So we have some questions that came in via email, and a couple of them just have your name all over them. In fact, I'll start with the one that really has your name all over it, because certainly when you were a kid, I think you liked seaweed more than could possibly have been normal. And one of the oh, questions is, well, here's the question. I know seaweed is very, very healthy. I know it's great for your thyroid, but what do I do with it? What do you do with it? Well, I like to buy, and they are a little bit more expensive, but I really, really like them, the um, the roasted seasoned seaweed snacks. There's, uh, like, the ones that I get from Fresh Direct are called Sea Snacks, and they just have a little bit of vegetable oil, a little bit of salt, and um, and they're good. They taste kind of like a like a salty seaweed potato chip, and they're really yummy. You can also make those if you buy the, uh, the nori sheets at the health food store or at an Asian grocery, and you can, uh, you know, spray them or brush them with a little bit of oil, sprinkle some salt on them, and bake them in the oven for just a very short time. So that's always good. Um, let's see. What else do I do with seaweed that's delicious? I don't know. I usually just eat it straight. It's so good. I know you can toss some dulse in a salad. That can be yummy. Yeah, dulse is a nice what, one. What do you Yeah, do I get dulse from a place called Main Coast Seaweed online. I find that it's really economical, and I met those people 30 years ago and, and know that they're they're really good. I have learned to make sushi. It's a little bit of a chore. I, I bought this special little sushi mat, you 
know, for rolling it. And I tend to make raw sushi, so I, I do the cauliflower, grate it in the food processor and put in the other ingredients, avocado or whatever kind of sushi I want, and very, very carefully roll that and chop it in, into sushi sized pieces and the other thing that i do is along with the salt and the pepper on the table i have some seaweed sprinkles and that's a great way for the the person who wrote in who's interested in in the iodine to just be able to sprinkle that on your food it's it's salty it gives an interesting little flavor all the seaweeds have a lot of iodine, and it's actually possible to get too much iodine. So the one that I would avoid, uh, advise you staying away from is kelp. I mean, a little bit sprinkled on won't hurt you, but it's very, very, very high in iodine. So better to just stick with, with the dulse and some of the others. The other one to avoid is haziki. You'll also sometimes see it spelled hajiki, and that one actually picks up arsenic. From, from the ocean. I mean, we know that this is one of the reasons to avoid fish, and, and haziki seems to do the same thing. But all the other ones, nori, dulse, lava, they're great. Well, the other thing I would add is anything you're cooking that's Asian, almost anything, you can throw some seaweed in, like a stir-fry or an Asian soup, a hot and sour soup, anything like that. Just a little bit of, uh, of dulse or nori is usually really good in that. Yeah, and also anything that you want to taste a little bit fishy, if you're making a, a kind of vegan tuna pate without tuna, obviously, or a vegan salmon pate without salmon, you put in a little bit of seaweed and it just gives you that kind of oceany flavor. So that's the first question. The second question that came in this week says, how do you shop on a budget? Adair. That's a question. Yes. <laughs> well, what are some of your favorite money-saving tips? Um, you know, I will usually go um, go to the big grocery store first, like our local mega supermarket, and get what I can get there. You know, get the um, the stuff that uh, I don't feel it's necessarily important to get organic. You can read there are a lot of lists online that tell you this is more important to get organic than this. And, um, and I'll get the cheaper stuff there, and then I'll go to the health food store for the stuff that I can only get there, you know, the seaweed, the, uh, the nutritional yeast, the soy products, stuff like that, that tends to be a little bit more expensive. Right. Well, some of the things that I do, like one thing I've learned that actually is cheaper at the health food store are nuts and seeds. You can't even find a lot of them at most grocery stores, but when you do, they're in these little bitty packets, and, and they're very expensive by, by the pound, where in the bulk bins at the health food stores, they're a lot less. And, in fact, bulk is good for just about everything. You mentioned nutritional yeast. I don't buy that from the bulk bins just because light destroys the nutrients, and so it's better to get that in a package. The other thing is shopping in season. I know my husband just loves peaches and nectarines, and he wants peaches and nectarines all winter. And not only are they not very good in January, but they cost an arm and a leg, where if you get the stuff when it's at its peak of, of ripeness, it's probably better for you because it's fresh, and, and it's also cheaper. And some of the I basic, think, oh, basic foods... Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I started to say something, but I will say it later. Okay, well, I was just going to say some of these basic foods, rice, beans, potatoes, they really fill you up, and they don't cost very much. And what were you going to say? I was going to add almost that same thing, which is that if you plan your meals, 
um, if you're really, really on a budget at that particular time, plan to cook more stuff from scratch. Like when I'm a little short cash, I will make a big batch of like barbecued lentils uh, or um, like a big stew or something like that in my crock pot that I can freeze. And all those dry ingredients are really, really cheap to buy. And, you know, if I have a little more money to spend, I might splurge and get some of the more, you know, ready-prepared soy meat products and things like that. But, um, yeah, cooking from scratch is always cheaper. How do you make barbecued lentils? Oh, barbecued lentils are fantastic. I use a recipe from uh, Fresh from the Vegetarian Slow Cooker, which is a book that I love. And um, Who's yeah, the author? Do you know? Oh, I don't know right off. Maybe we can oh. Google it on the break. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a really great cookbook, and uh, I love the barbecued lentils because they're really, really cheap to make. Like a couple big bags of dried lentils cost me like bucks, and I dump them in there with all of the seasonings and stuff, and my husband really loves it because it tastes kind of barbecue-y. And, uh, and, yeah, it's a really great budget meal. Well, that sounds yummy. You could do a lot with that. You could put it on quinoa or rice or noodles or toast or in a soup bowl. <laughs> I love it when you can make a big batch of something and do a couple of things with it over over a period of time. And then, of course, I make chili. You know, it may not be the cheapest thing on earth because I do tend to get the beans in the cans and things like that. But in Main Street Vegan, in our book, it's called Cheapish Chili. And the other night, William, he was just being so sweet to me. He was telling me all the things that he likes in life. And most of them were about me, which was very nice. Although he also said he liked Yankees games and some other things. But then he said, and you're chili. (laughs) Your chili is one of the best things in life. So you can find that in Main Street Vegan or, you know, you can figure it out. Chili's really easy and there are lots and lots of vegetarian chili recipes online. And really anything with beans in it is cheap and beans are so good for you. I keep reading all these interesting stats. Like people who eat have smaller waists than people who don't eat beans. And people who eat beans don't get sick as often as people who eat beans. So, you know, eat beans. If you're worried that they don't digest too well, there's a product you can order called Beanzyme <laughs> that uh, takes care of some of that uh, pesky raffinose, which is the carb in beans that uh, doesn't like to digest very well. But, you know, after you've been vegan for a while and you eat some beans most days, they're pretty easy to digest. You just have to kind of work up to them if you're used to the fiberless American diet. So I have one more question, Adair. This person is saying, what do you eat at other people's houses and how do you not hurt their feelings? That's a really good question. Yeah, and I guess it's not one that I've run into a lot because usually by the time I know someone well enough to be invited to their house, they know I'm vegan, and if they invite me, they're pretty okay with cooking vegan. Um, but I definitely offer to bring something. You know, I, w- I will bring a potluck entree if they want to do it potluck style, if they're not comfortable cooking a totally vegan meal, or I'll offer to bring the dessert because, you know, vegan baking is, is a little challenging. Um but, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a whole lot of trouble with it. A lot of friends, I think, consider it a sort of fun culinary challenge to have a vegan over. 
Yeah, that's been my experience, too. And, and like you say, I think once people know it and understand it, I'm prepping for the next Main Street Vegan Academy program that will be happening in November, which is totally filled to capacity. <laughs> but anybody who's interested in the Academy can check us out for February and, and June and, and on into 2013. But as I'm looking at what I'm going to be fixing whenever we're going to be sharing meals together, I ask everybody if they have any dietary restrictions, obviously be on being vegan and you know a couple of people are gluten free and a couple of people are oil free and you know different things and just like you were saying about your friends I find it all really interesting I don't use a lot of gluten myself at all but I'm not oil free so to be able to get all this together and include some of the other people's parameters too is just kind of fun for somebody that likes being in the kitchen so Adair it is time for our break if you, can, if you can hang on, if you want to hang on through the break, we're going to be taking a pause and coming back with more Main Street Vegan after these messages. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. You ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on shop. From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey, what you waiting for? An early winter rendezvous with all the things you love to do. Hey, hey, treat yourself to more. A little more summer, a little more sun, a little less work and a lot more fun. A little more beach, a little more sand, a little less stress and a lot more pain. Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less dew, and a lot more be. Hey, hey, 
listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria and Adair Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. This is Victoria Moran back with you on Main Street Vegan. I'm here with my lovely daughter, Adair, on the phone and also our fabulous guest coming up. If you would like to call in and chat with us, the number to do that is 888-558-6489. Again, 888-558-6489. Eight, nine. Adair, you were just finishing up a thought from the last segment. Was I? I don't know what the thought was. Okay, well then we're just going to let it go when it, it, it comes must not back. Have been important. Well, it's always wonderful when I'm the mom and you're the daughter and you forgot something. Then I get to say, yes, yes, the brain still works. So I am bringing on one of the best culinary brains alive on earth today. I'm so, so happy to have him with us. This is Chef Mark Reinfeld. He's the winner of Vegan.com's Recipe of the Year Award 2011, and he has over 20 years experience preparing creative vegan and raw food cuisine. He's described by VeganCooking.com as poised on the leading edge of contemporary vegan cooking. The founding chef of the Blossoming Lotus Restaurant on Kauai, and the best restaurant on Kauai, it it has been named that. Mark is also the recipient of the Platinum Carrot Award. That's a national award given to living foods chefs um, for being innovative and trailblazing in their healthy cuisine. Now, his books are fantastic and talk about making vegan easy. And we're talking making really gourmet vegan easy. He's written The 30-Minute Vegan, The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of the East, and his most recent book is The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of Europe. Now, Mark, welcome to the show. And taking Thank you on so much Europe, for having me. <laughs> that's what made yeah. you want to do Europe that seems so challenging when you're a vegan? Well, everybody has amazing... Europe just holds a very special place in everyone's heart, and uh, I've actually... It's been 25 years ago I spent time in Europe, and on and off I've just developed a love affair with it and have traveled back, and it gave birth over the years to the recipes in this book, which focus on uh, veganizing a lot of the classic dishes that are everyone's familiar with for European cuisine. Well, this is actually how you and I met. You were the chef this summer for the North American Vegetarian Society Summerfest in in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. You can check out summerfest.org if you're interested in coming this summer. It's quite, quite an event. And all the food was great. But one morning, there were scones. And to anybody who's a vegan, you know that some of the things we tend to miss are the very classic baked goods. And these scones were heavenly. I've lived in England. I know my scones. And then I just had to find you. I had to find this incredible chef. 
that recipe is in um, Mark Warfeld's new book, The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of Europe. And it's also, thank you very much, Mark, and to your publisher, DeCapo, it's on our blog today. So if you go to MainStreetVegan.net, you can have the scone recipe, and then you'll want the rest of the book. So what's your favorite country for, for cooking vegan European style? Well, I, I really love them all. I think Italy was probably the easiest to veganize. They, there were so, and it, actually the, uh, the Italy section is the largest section, and it, uh, there's just a long tradition of vegetarian dishes in Italy. So overall, I would say that that presented the, the, the most abundant source of recipes. And what about France? That always seems to be the place where vegans say, well, when I wasn't at a vegan restaurant, pickings were slim. Right. Usually it's uh, French fries and, or freedom fries and salad uh, when you're traveling through France. Uh, Paris does have a bustling vegan community. And uh, with the advent of uh, a lot of the the vegan analog products, which I consider transitional products that they aren't necessarily products that I recommend people have every day, but they do have some high quality vegan uh, butters and cheeses and mayonnaises. So I was able to replicate a lot of the classic dishes using that, using those products. And then yes. just incorporating some of the Mediterranean uh, ingredients is uh, another favorite thing to do. And did you have any trouble with, with language or, or cultural barriers when you were learning about all these cuisines? Uh, not really. I mean, English is very well spoken. I was, I do know a little bit of French and Spanish, so that, that helped a lot in getting around. And food is, as you know, food is a universal language, so... It's the the experience that really unites people. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so what what made you decide to become vegan? Take us back a little bit in your own history. Uh, I initially became a vegetarian when I was on a kibbutz in Israel about 20, 20 or so years ago and uh, just developed a connection with the animals and Around that time, I started my culinary career, so all of my professional culinary career has been focused on uh, vegan cuisine. Well, and in the vegans benefit from that. I'm talking with Mark Reinfeld, who's an award-winning chef. His new book is The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of Europe. You can follow Mark on Twitter at VeganFusion or check out his website, VeganFusion.com. So, Mark, you do trainings. You don't keep your secrets to yourself. You try to help other people be wonderful vegan chefs, whether at home in their own kitchens or for something a, a little bit uh, more out in the world. Tell us about some of those. Thanks for bringing that up, Victoria. Yeah, it's what I, I really love showing people how easy it is to create this world-class gourmet vegan cuisine. So I've, over the last 20 years, have developed a technique of teaching where I really am able to guide people from where they are at in their culinary uh, evolution, whether it's a new chef or actually I've worked with several professionally trained chefs who weren't familiar with vegan cuisine 
and I just show them how to uh, use these techniques and also a ways of viewing recipes where they can break it down to create uh, numerous variations. So it's basically the main thing I do in these 10-day programs where it's really a life-transforming experience where people take their culinary level and their confidence level and their creativity to the next level. So do people have to come to Hawaii for that? Or get to come to uh, Hawaii, maybe I should say? Here in Hawaii, it's, it's definitely it's a hard sell to get people to Hawaii, as you can imagine. Uh, but I, I do the trainings here, and it's amazing to do it. I actually have one scheduled in January back here on Maui. Uh, I do offer them in Portland and Seattle and San Diego along the West Coast. So I do have events scheduled in uh, October, November, and December on the West Coast of the U.S., and all of that information is available on at veganfusion.com. Terrific. Oh, that sounds like fun. I took a Rush Chef training once with Rush Chef Dan at Quintessence in, in New York City, a five-day program. And what I learned, well, uh-huh. I learned a lot, but the main thing I learned is that there is a chef gene and that some people just get food in a way that I don't. Uh-huh. Do you think that's true? Uh my feeling is basically that if you can eat, you can cook. That's uh-huh. how I work with people so that if you can try, if you can taste food and know what you like or don't like, I can work with you to help you create dishes that you like and uh-huh. develop. Your, it's really the way I look at it is refining your palate. And yes. so you develop this intuition that when you develop a mechanism for saying that the food is good, then it's reflected in other people liking it. You know, I probably have more of that than I think I do. Last night I was trying I'm sure to, you do. <laughs> to do a recipe for, for a, a taco salad, and it called for corn. I realized we didn't have any corn, but I thought, well, I can just put some beans in it. It won't be raw then, but... You know, they're exactly. both kind of Mexican, and it was good. So maybe uh, yeah. Cuisine the, 101. The method I use, I, yeah, I, I call it, um, I look at recipes, certain recipes as template recipes, where you basically can generalize what the recipe is rather than looking at it as a limited dish. So like a quinoa grilled vegetable salad, instead of looking at just as a quinoa grilled vegetable salad, you look at it as like a grain vegetable salad, and then you can replace the quinoa, even though it's a seed with other grains, such as rice or millet or amaranth, and then you can replace the vegetables with any vegetables of your choosing and have it grilled or roasted or raw or stir-fried. So when I show someone how to do one recipe, I'm actually showing them how to do hundreds of recipes, and people leave with the sense that they can just, rock it out in the kitchen. So do you find people being afraid of strange words, something like amaranth or or millet? I mean, people know millet as those little golden round things that they throw at weddings now that we know we're not supposed to throw rice anymore. But the idea of actually Uh, cooking it and eating it, do you run into the, oh, that's weird, I don't do that? Uh, well, at this stage, I would say most of the people that are, are coming to me are, are eager to learn. They've either read your book or they've seen Forks Over Knives or they've, they're just, 
they realize they need to make a change in their life. And so once you're at that stage, I think you naturally become more open. So while I do get people, like in my trainings, I, I introduce them to the ingredients and hand it to them and have them smell it and taste it so it becomes less foreign to them. I see. Adair, are you still on? Because I wanted to ask you something. I'm still on. Hey, because you're a very creative cook. I mean, you, you've always been this way. You were inventing recipes when, when you were a kid. Where do you think that comes from? I'm sorry, I didn't totally hear the question. I was always what? Well, you were always a very creative cook. You you put things together. You were creating recipes as a kid. Where does that come from? I don't know. I guess I don't like following instructions. <laughs> <laughs> I think I always just, uh, I, I never liked being constrained to recipes. And I don't know that I'm a particularly amazing cook, but I always felt like I came up with better stuff when I just kept adding ingredients until it tasted right. Yeah, and that's, that's the attitude you, you need. And that's one of the great things about using vegan foods, because you can get in trouble when you're using animal foods if you're putting the wrong thing in. I, mean, I think it's vegan cuisine is a little more forgiving in that way. So, yeah, you're less. I was going to say just like things with temperature related and making sure things are cooked appropriately. I do think you have more leeway with the vegan products. Yes. So, apologies for any of the little blips in the sound here because we're dealing with coming from actually four different locations because our wonderful engineer, Jeff Comfort, is there in Kansas City and we're all on various points on the globe. Uh, call in number yeah. 888-558-6489. So, Mark, do you have a vegan recipe or a particular flavor that you discovered overseas that you really, really like? Uh, I'm a big fan of the Mediterranean cuisine and climate and lifestyle. Uh, so I, I really enjoy using like the fresh herbs and just simple high quality ingredients, uh, like very fresh organic herbs and fresh lemons and, uh, like sun dried tomatoes and really good quality balsamic, uh, those are those become part of my like top tier good olives, Kalamata olives. So you mentioned Mediterranean and you with- mentioned olives. So I have to ask about olive oil. Some people say it's great. Some people say you shouldn't use it. Where do you come down on that? Uh, I would say that it's my general approach is not as that everyone is biophysically unique and that what's right for one person may not be right for another and what's right for you at one point of your life may not be right for you at another point. So I think we're the ultimate deciders ourselves, what works for us. Uh, personally, I would say like a little, like a very fresh, uh, organic, high quality olive oil used minimally not heated, I would think would be okay. That would be my generalization about it, although some people, if they're concerned with their heart health or something like that, may want to eliminate any processed oils or really minimize it. I I do think it's a case-by-case basis, though. 
that sounds very wise. So just in, in, in the last 30 seconds or so before we go to break, um, give us a couple of tips for vegan traveling to Europe or wherever you're going. Uh, well, preparing in advance is probably the best uh, advice. Uh, there's an amazing website, happycow.net, that I'm sure you're familiar with, which is a worldwide directory of vegan and vegetarian restaurants and natural food stores. And just packing a vegan survival kit in terms of, like, a superfood uh, trail mix or some uh, powdered meal re- vegan meal replacers, uh, things like that. That's generally what I do. And then just look for the farmer's markets or uh, the organic markets as you go. That and sounds then, very course, wise. We're going to talk more next. about those superfoods when we come back after the break. I'm Victoria Moran here with Adair Moran and our guest, Chef Mark Reinfeld, on Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We'll be back. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Good parenting doesn't happen by default. It's intentional. It's a decision about who you'll be and what you'll do in your family life. Join your hosts, Reverends Jennifer and Ogan Holder, each week for Unity Family Matters as they guide you on a spiritual journey, creating conscious family life. Experience the light side of parenting, realizing your divine identity while raising your children to know they are the light of God. Gain insights based on Unity principles. Talk with today's prominent experts in spiritual parenting. And address your questions and comments from spiritual perspectives. Unity Family Matters. Every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Welcome back, everybody. This is Main Street Vegan. I am Victoria Moran. My young co-host had to go take care of her very expressive dogs when they want something they pretty much don't need words but i am here with our wonderful wonderful guest guest today chef mark reinfeld you can find him at www.veganfusion.com 
on Twitter at Vegan Fusion, or you can go to vn.com or amazon.com and look for his books, The 30-Minute Vegan, The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of the East, and his brand new, The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of Europe. And check out our blog at MainStreetVegan.net, and you can make his scones this very, very afternoon. Now, you were just giving me some travel tips, Mark, and you mentioned something, a superfood trail mix. So tell me what would go into that, and also just riff a little bit, if you would, on superfoods in general. What's a superfood, and what are your favorite superfoods? Great question. Well, basically, superfoods, as people understand it, is they're nutrient-dense foods. So they're foods that have the the highest nutrient content, typically in form of the antioxidants contained in the food. So things like uh, blueberries or berries in general, goji berries, uh, things, vegetables like kale can be considered a superfood. Ultimately, on some level, all plants can be considered superfoods when it's compared to like a processed food or, in my opinion, an animal product. Uh, but the way superfoods have been understood is more of these really high-nutrient foods. So other things like some of my other favorites are cacao. Raw cacao is considered a superfood. Uh, spirulina, which is a blue-green algae, things like that. In the trail mix, uh, I would you can put some raw uh, nuts and seeds and maybe some cacao nibs or a few goji berries or mulberries or some of the other, uh, like, dried fruits that that you like. As far as now, it'll give you energy on, like, long train rides through Europe or in the airports or things like that when when you're out in a pinch to find something to hold you over. Now, you kind of cross the line between raw foods and and cooked vegan cuisine. A lot of chefs are one or the other. How how do you make that marriage work? Well, I am devoted to getting the word out about plant-based cuisine, whether it's cooked or raw. I focus, I, I like to see my niches really guiding people from the heavier cooked foods like shepherd's pie or lasagna all the way through lighter cooked foods like uh, like a quinoa grain, quinoa vegetable salad to the raw foods, including uh, soaked and sprouted dishes, cultured products, uh, dehydrated foods. I actually did my master's in holistic nutrition and my thesis was on raw foods and I also co-authored the Complete Idiot's Guide to Eating Raw, so... Raw foods to me are a very important part of a well-balanced uh, diet. And uh, I think, just as I mentioned earlier about the biophysical uniqueness, I think the percentage of cooked and raw food requirements for each person differs by the person and their environment. So I, I like to give people all of the options. I have noticed something in the vegan movement that is disturbing me a little bit. And it almost seems like I want to call it death by cupcakes. I'm feeling huh. like because people have learned that you can have desserts and baked goods and all kinds of yummy things as a vegan, that some of these foods are seeming like dietary staples instead of like a treat to have on a special occasion every once in a while. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, that's exactly my belief. I, I call them uh, transitional products. So for me, the goal is having people transition to plant-based cuisine, whether it's once a week, every day, before 6 p.m. or go full on to become vegan. Uh, and those products, I think, are crucial for most people in making that transition, though I always emphasize that they're, they are transitional foods. They're not in themselves health foods. And so maybe you can indulge a little bit more when you're first in introducing them and then just realize that there's things that need to be phased out to have just on those special occasions eventually. Well, one of the things that I'm finding myself uh, saying with my clients is, would you eat this if you weren't vegan? And very often, I think, especially now with people who live in cities and places where they have vegan restaurants, they'll go in and say, oh, wow, a donut or, you know, brownie, whatever it is. Five years ago, when you ate meat, would you have eaten that brownie? And a lot of people say uh, no. And I think the answer to so many people who will say, oh, I was vegan for a while, but I didn't feel all that good. It's like, what are you eating? Exactly. Yeah. And so like for me, the goal is like, I real I really feel that the long lasting change can only come from within yourself. And so if you're, that's why I emphasize making, some people need to make an immediate transition, but making a slow and gradual transition based on your history of diet, uh, is really important and to have the food be satisfying and uh, delicious along the way, I think those products can really help people a lot. And, again, ultimately, you want to get your palate used to the plant-based foods so that eventually you could just enjoy them as an occasional treat. Very true. Anyone who'd like to join in on our last six minutes here, we're at 888-558-6488. Eight, nine. I'm speaking with Chef Mark Reinfeld, author of The 30-Minute Vegan's Taste of Europe. You can find Mark at veganfusion.com or on Twitter at veganfusion and check out his, his work, his books, his wonderful uh, vegan chef boot camp program so you can learn how to prepare some of these fabulous foods yourself. Now, as an expert in holistic nutrition, what are your thoughts on, on the specific healing properties of, of vegan foods or some vegan foods? The, did you say specific healing properties? Yeah, healing properties, transformative properties, a lot of people would say. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I would first like to mention you, you, we talked about the, the cooking trainings I do. I do also have uh, an online training available for people that can't make it to the trainings, and it's uh, basically videos and the training manual. So that's all available on the website. And I do talk about that that question about the healing properties of different plant-based foods. And my feeling is that, like, there are many uh, nutritional theories out there. I think uh, before I came on the show, you were mentioning gluten-free or no oil or that those are just a couple, then you could introduce like macrobiotic or Ayurveda or raw foods or fruitarians. Everyone has their own spin on what is good for you. And to me, it goes back to that uh, biophysical uniqueness. 
And within the realm of plant-based cuisine, I feel by eating a wide variety of foods, especially with different colors, as the colors uh, indicate different phytonutrient uh, compounds of the foods, that we're really able to address uh, what our body's needs are. And I do feel, and what I see in my training is that even on a week of vegan foods, people experience incredible transformations. I know people that have said, I'm going to go vegan for a week or a month and have stayed vegan because of all the amazing transformation that they experience. Yeah, it's pretty special. I've had that experience, too, where people will say, well, I'm just going to do a detox. And I'm thinking, are you going to juice fast or what? And they say, no, I'm going to be vegan. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this must mean I detox all the time, which I suppose living in yeah. a toxic world is a good thing, but lots of times that's all it takes. It's like, yeah. I'll never go back. Well, I feel like whenever people lighten their diet, it can be considered a cleanse. The body will begin a natural cleansing process, so for a meat eater, going vegetarian for a week could be considered a vegetarian cleanse, or like a vegan going on raw foods for a week would be like a raw food cleanse. What's that thought, Mark? I had a little scratch. Mark? I'm, I missed, yeah, I'm, I missed what you just asked. Oh, I was just asking your thought. Having some, some technical troubles. So I'm going to say thank you so much, Chef Mark Rumsfeld. I so look forward to immersing myself in Sir Medigan's Taste of Europe. There's actually a copy of it right here in my hotel room. So even though the food here is a little bit spiced for vegan, I can read your book and feel like I'm having all this fabulous well, So thanks so much for being on the show today, everybody. You can check out the Third Minute Vegan's Taste of Europe. You can find Mark www.veganfusion. Huh. And Thank you so much, Victoria. And me on Twitter. She's just a Dameran, A-D-A-I-R, with no or anything. Yeah, Mark. Okay, I'm just going to be finishing oh, up here. Aloha. Thank you so much okay. for having me on the show. <laughs> All the best. Bye-bye. I always wave at people. Dear says you know okay. they can't see you when they're on the boat. Uh, so, and you can find me on Twitter at Victoria underscore Moran. Please be here with us next week. We're going to have a fabulous dietitian, the veggie queen Jill Nessa now. We're going to have a wonderful vegan personal trainer, Wendy Tuski of New York City.
you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria and Adair Moran entertain, educate, and inspire you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria and Adair, or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Cerce points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts. 